Are heaven and hell simply metaphysical abstractions, or realities that we can touch and feel? The visions of Jeremiah and the table fellowship of Jesus with sinners and outcasts serve to illustrate the eternal in the present. In this sermon delivered by Richard Helmer at Church of Our Savior on Sunday, September 16, 2007. In the name of the God of light and life, amen. So people have been asking me over the past few days, what does it feel like now that you've been elected rector? Good question, I sort of come back at them with. I'm not sure yet, except that things are kind of settling. Although then you open up today's bulletin and you see I'm still listed as guest, presider, and preacher. (laughs) So maybe things are not quite settled yet. On the other hand, there's all of this sort of renewed responsibility that no one articulated I've been fielding all kinds of conversations and inquiries that demand a great deal of authority the past week and a half, and probably more authority than I should be allowed if anyone were in their right mind about it. The greatest one I got this week was a question that came by phone. Lynn picked up the receiver and fielded the call. She came into my office. Her eyes were big, and I thought, "Uh uh-oh, here we go. She said, I think you better take this one. I thought, yeah, uh-huh, rector, right? On the other end was someone who had called to ask, what does the Episcopal Church believe? <laughs> and one of her more specific questions was, do you believe in heaven and hell? Mm, yes, I said. It was a question I rarely hear in this part of the world, and yet it was placed in front of me. But I was uncomfortable leaving the question there. It only seemed reasonable to answer that way because a more detailed response would have taken much too long to explain. We are not accustomed to long explanations about much of anything these days, it seems. In fact, we are rather given over as a culture to being suspicious of people who have difficulty answering with anything other than monosyllables or at most short, simple sentences. So I said yes, but it got me thinking. Most of us who have been in the church for a while know, though, that Episcopalians are not particularly fond of talking about heaven and hell in any case. Some of us have learned to hold both ideas with a little disdain. We are tempted to believe that they are, at best, rather quaint notions, pie-in-the-sky ideas belonging to a no longer tenable cosmology. In the universe as we understand it now, there is no more an under-the-earth destination for the damned than a dome above beyond which the heavenly court and the righteous gather together around God's throne. 
More than that, we recoil at times at the revivalist language of some of our brothers and sisters when we hear them scream hellfire and brimstone and quote scriptural passages clearly meant to terrify. Surely we are more sophisticated Christians than that. Not prone to being treated like frightened children who need a steady diet of threats of damnation to keep us on the straight and narrow. We are grown-ups, surely, and we tend to find rather amusing the images of bearded red devils with pointed tails, brandishing pitchforks and dancing in the flames, or angels sitting on clouds, strumming harps. As Robert Browning, a famous concert pianist, who was most irreverent, was fond of saying, that sounds like an awfully boring eternity to me. But if we dare to ask, the Christian understanding of heaven and hell have much deeper roots than a literalistic interpretation of Milton or peculiar medieval notions of divine justice. In truth, if you do any digging, every Christian culture has understood heaven and hell a little bit differently, and with good reason. It's because our experiences as a Christian people across the ages have been distinct and deeply rooted in the challenges that we have faced has been our notion of heaven and hell. Let me say that again. Our experiences of heaven and hell have been different, and I mean it. We tend to obsess on heaven and hell as metaphysical abstractions rather than realities we might touch and experience at the here and now. But for any of us who have endured great suffering or isolation or felt profound joy and connection, we know a taste of each. It was C.S. Lewis half a century ago who depicted heaven and hell as journeys more than destinations. Both are available to us at any moment. Each one has a different claim on how we ought to comport ourselves in relationship, on how we ought to see ourselves as children of God or as children of nothing. And both place demands on how we might best live our lives. And of course, yes, both point to an eternal disposition that is yet to be realized. In our Hebrew scriptures reading this morning, Jeremiah reaches across to us, across thousands of years, capturing us with a terrifying and despairing visage, a fruitless and barren land, a terrible depiction of exile. The barren image, while Jeremiah doesn't use the word, seems to me of hell, a total and utter rejection and isolation of the soul of an entire people laid waste. Even the birds have fled, he says. And on top of this frightening image, Jeremiah ladles upon his own people a condemnation for their turning away from their rootstock, the God who loves them, and allowing themselves to fall into the easy self-centeredness and the easy satisfactions that are a constant temptation for the entire human family. 
The reason this image is so vivid and troubling, for me at least, is because part of it resonates with us. We each have our own hell to reckon with. One that we sometimes fear might swallow us forever in darkness and isolation, permanent exile from all whom we love. For that is what hell is, by definition, a separation from God, the root of life from our fellow human beings, from all that is loving and nurturing. Indeed, our sufferings sometimes tempt us in that direction and our own sense of lost self-worth and our occasional or ongoing dishonesty tugs at us. We have to battle to stay connected in the midst of pain, resist the easy fears and shallow appetites that might possess us and drag us into ever-decreasing circles of self-absorption We have to make space for forgiveness, especially for ourselves, where we have failed. And we know people, some whom we deeply love, who end up alone and terrified. Who needs a theology of hell when we have learned, even the most comfortable among us, that much of life is about suffering and rejection? Heaven, of course, is quite the opposite. It's a journey of growing deeper into loving relationship with our sisters and brothers, even those we must learn to like and appreciate, of learning a genuine and celebratory humility, of growing outward with a God who summons us out of ourselves, takes us into paths where we nurture others and are nurtured in turn, reconnected, overwhelmed with the goodness with which we are blessed. And that is the hope that we as Christians carry for one another. But most of us live a lot of our lives somewhere in the middle of these two journeys. We falter with our own pettiness or sins, great and small. We reach for the light, but the path sometimes daunts us. We ignore our ends because we are so overwrought with the occupations of the moment. And yet we sometimes recognize that we make decisions each and every minute of the day that affect which way our next step will take us. If you ask me, and I guess somebody did this week, the real danger about a thoroughgoing doctrine of heaven and hell is that we end up tempted to figure out who's in And who's out? Heaven then becomes the home of our preferred guest list. And likewise then, hell becomes a theological and metaphysical trash can where we place those whom we least like or prefer. I don't have to tell you that the social outcomes of that are legion and, quite frankly, hellish in their own right. I won't list them here. You know them too well. And they shame us as communities and as people. And the personal spiritual cost of that type of thinking is incalculable as well, as we end up harboring festering awful thoughts about others, running the risk of poisoning ourselves from the inside out. So our notions of heaven and hell leave us caught between the best and worst of ourselves, the best and worst of human nature, It's a struggle with which every person and every culture has had to grapple in their own unique ways. 
But in today's readings from Scripture, we are offered a new way. For all of his prophetic darkness, his predictions of a hell on earth, Jeremiah acknowledges a ray of hope. He quotes God as to say, there will be desolation. And yet God continues, yet, yet, I will not make a full end. In today's gospel, Jesus discloses the awesome hope behind those words with one of his most radical acts, sitting at table with the social outcasts, the sinners of his day. Tax collectors and all the other 'er ne'er-do-wells were cast out by the religious authorities in the greater society. They were driven into a hell of isolation and disenfranchisement, dismissed in practice, if not in word, as beyond the reach of God's salvation. Jesus takes this social sorting between heaven and hell-bound and turns it on its ear by welcoming the condemned at table. And then he tells his detractors two parables. The first is about a God who, like a faithful shepherd, with a large and wonderful herd, leaves them and goes out after even a single lost sheep. The second is about a God who, like a woman, seeks out a lone coin by turning her entire house upside down. Yes, Jesus talks about repentance, but only after God's action of grace. As children straddling the journeys of heaven and hell in our own lives, we Christians believe in something truly radical and profound. God is coming after us. Whether we want God to or not. As far as God is concerned, we belong in heaven. God will not make a full end, even if we might deserve it. God will not give up on us, even if we are willfully lost, even if we give up on ourselves. Grace is coming. God is coming after us. The sorting bins of our easy dichotomies about the human family are being subsumed by God's passion for all that has been created, not least of whom are we, God's children, our brothers and sisters, our ancestors, and those who are yet to be born. So when our conversation gravitates towards heaven and hell and we worry about our immortal souls and eternity and the light and darkness of the present hour, we have this good news of grace. Jesus inviting us, sinners all, some among us saints, outcasts on at least someone else's list, we are invited together at table. It's this message of hope that we at Church of Our Savior have carried now for over 115 years, for people both near and far, through good times and bad and indifferent. And now we look ahead. Even in the face of the world's environmental challenges, a culture in overdrive, a sea of need, our ongoing and painful struggles with war and fear, and our own ever-present personal crises, 
and questions. God is coming after us. That is Christ's answer for us as a Christian family and the entire world. God is coming after us with the love of a shepherd for his sheep, the sleepless commitment of a woman for her household. We as Christians only covenant here to show up, to show up before God and be prepared and challenged to be transformed. And perhaps in our own unique ways to carry out this grace in the world, a world desperately struggling with its own tensions over heaven and hell, ever thirsty for a breath of hope and a renewal of peace. To sing of new life, where the land will be fruitful once again, where the birds will return, the mountains will stand tall, and the city of God will shine in our hearts, our relationships, and our communities forever. Amen. listening to the sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907. Or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley, dot org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to be able to greet you in person very soon.